So here we come to July 4th, and I introduced us to Isaiah chapter 7 last week. We continue with Isaiah 7 this week as well. Last week, as I pointed out, we were uh, just within uh, half a year of Christmas, and it's always good to remember that at a midpoint of a year. And we continue with Isaiah 7 today, but of course, it is July 4th. I'm reminded that uh, when the Declaration of Independence was at least initially signed by John Hancock, it was approved in substance on July 2nd, 1776 at the Continental Congress, and then Hancock signed it on July 4th. Uh, the legend, at least, we don't know if this is exactly accurate, is that coming out of the Continental Congress when asked about this Declaration of Independence that Benjamin Franklin said, we must all now hang together or else we will surely all hang separately. So we really did have a choice when we went to war, when we revolted against the king and the parliament and the, the government of the most powerful empire in the world at the time, the British Empire. There was a basic truth in that, even if Benjamin Franklin didn't exactly say that exactly that way. If we don't stick together, if we don't hang together, then we will all hang separately. I don't know what your assessment is of our nation right now, but I'm not sure exactly how well we're doing along those lines right now, hanging together. But the truth of God's word is that we are called to hang with, to trust in, to stick with God, and by his grace, to be united together, no matter what, through thick and thin, even in the face of great spiritual warfare, even in the face of great threats. So we remember that today as we turn to our scripture from Isaiah 7 and our sermon today, Emmanuel. Hopefully you can learn that word. I'm pretty sure those children can learn that word because I've taught that word to our three-year-old and four-year-old uh, uh, Christian preschool students. So I'm, I'm pretty sure they could actually learn that. Emmanuel, which means God with us. But the sermon title today is Judgment and Joy. Judgment and Joy. Uh, as we prepare to turn to God's word and read all of Isaiah chapter 7 today, we have this front burner question. You can see I placed it in your notes there for you that you can follow along with the insert to the bulletin today, the sermon notes. Does the failure of God's people mean that God's word fails? Does the failure of God's people mean that God's word and God's covenant cannot be trusted? What do you think? What do you think? If God chooses people and God makes plans about those people and those people fail to hang with God, fail to follow through with God, does that mean God is untrustworthy? What do you think? What if God makes huge promises about the entire course of human history? And everything hinges 
on those promises. And then all of a sudden we see generation after generation, decade after decade, century after century, the people about whom the promises were made fail to come through. Does that mean at some point we have to reassess and say, either God doesn't exist at all, or if he does exist, he surely is a bad chooser of people, and obviously his promises cannot be trusted because we're just not seeing the people play out these promises very well. That is a huge question for us from a faith perspective. Now, we're going to say, I hope you would say, well, obviously, God can be trusted even if people cannot be trusted. But it is an ongoing issue in the scripture. The scripture raises us. The scripture does not hide basic issues from us because, you know, when things get tough, and most of us have never lived through situations where things are really tough. We may deal with illnesses, horrible illnesses, but the truth is most of us pretty much, I'm guessing, even though we pray, give us today our daily bread, we pretty much know we're going to have food today, right? And we pretty much know that a foreign army is not going to come and uh, enslave our children and kill us and burn our house down today, right? We pretty much know that. Well, well, a lot of people, and a lot of people in the Bible didn't know that. All those things were at play and at risk. And, and then you get to this question that is at the core of the New Testament. Paul raises it right there at an access point in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 9. What about the Jews? They're God's chosen people, but the majority of them increasingly were not turning to Jesus in the first century. I mean, sure, a lot of really influential Jews were, but they were a minority. What about the rest? And why hasn't the Messianic age dawned like we all thought it would immediately? Romans chapter 9, verse 6. It's there in your notes. I think I have it up on the screen for you here. Romans 9, 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And you get a huge exposition of that in Romans 9, chapters 9 through 11. That issue was at stake in the first century AD, in the early days of the spread of the Christian faith. But everything was also at stake in a huge way back in 735, 734 BC. We talked about this in last week's sermon. I'm picking up where we left off last week. You can couple the two together, listen to both together. Everything was at stake. Remember now, in general, you got to understand this, uh, 200 years before this, the northern tribes broke off of Israel, broke off from the southern kingdom of Judah. David and God's promises through David about David's house and the possibility of a coming Messiah all center around Jerusalem and Judah. But Judah and Jerusalem becomes the minority kingdom, the smaller kingdom, the rich, larger kingdom between the two of them is the northern kingdom of Israel, also called Samaria. That's where the capital of um, the northern kingdom of Israel, or Ephraim, the, the, the dominant uh, tribe of the northern breakoff group, uh, was Ephraim. So that, that's why it's sometimes called Ephraim. Everything's at stake, though. A couple hundred years have passed, and uh, the kingdom of the north 
is at war against the kingdom of the south in league with Aram, whose capital is uh, Damascus, Aram. I'm calling it Aram today. I decided to go back and change the terminology because I know that when we talk about Syria and Assyria, that gets really confusing. So in the Bible, in the actual Hebrew Bible, the word for Syria is Aram. So you've got it as Aram on the scripture we'll be reading today. But remember now, so Aram or Damascus and the northern kingdom of Israel are at war against the southern kingdom uh, that's capital is in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has a young king named Ahaz. He is in the line of King David. He is the son of Jotham. Jotham's a pretty good king. He's going to end up being the dad, Ahaz is, of Hezekiah. Really good king. Ahaz, not a good king. Young king in his early 20s, and he's got a crisis on his hands. He's got a crisis on his hands. If you read about Ahaz in, for instance, 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28, you're, you're going to learn that Ahaz is a really bad king, a really bad unfaithful king. At one point in Chronicles, it says that not only is he engaging in all kinds of idolatry, but he, he puts an offering under every green tree in Judah. <laughs> he puts an offering under every, he is chasing after help in any way he can get it. And I guess he was a very green political leader. So he was putting an offering under every green tree. This is this young king who is in this weak little kingdom of Judah, and he's under threat. Um, Israel and Aram are in league against him. And we've got a bigger issue, the resurgence of the Assyrian Empire. The ultimate issue, though, as we saw last week for Ahaz, is he's unfaithful. He does not trust in God. He doesn't love God. He's looking for help from other gods. When Aram defeats him, he starts making offerings to the gods of Damascus. He's lighting an offering under every green tree in Judah. And then ultimately, as we saw, he's going to reach out to the emperor, the king of Assyria, for help. He is so bad when he does this that he basically defiles the temple of the holy God of Israel, the God in whom his hope really is or should be and his own family heritage, the house of David, with which God made these promises about a house that will not die and a Messiah who's gonna come. Second Kings 16, five. Then Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to wage war on Jerusalem, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not conquer him. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant. I am your son. In other words, I'm not God's son. I'm not God's servant. I'm yours. I belong to you. You're my daddy. You're my daddy, king of Assyria. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. So Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the Lord's house. The silver and the gold that was found in the Lord's holy house. 
and in the treasures of the king's house, that's David's house, and sent a present to the king of Assyria to say, please, cat, come get the two mice that are threatening me. And I'm sure you'll never come get me as a third mouse. Well, the scripture tells us after, after Tiglath-Pileser went after Syria or Aram and Israel, guess who he turns on next? Judah. I mean, can you imagine paying off the cat when you got a m bunch of mice that are attacking you and you're another mouse? It just didn't make any sense. So here's the thing. Ahaz rejected God and rejected God's presence. Now, let's open the scripture and see how it is described in God's word from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not prevail against it. When it was reported to the house of David, Aram is in league with Ephraim. His heart and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now and meet Ahaz. You and Sha'ar Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the launderer's field and say to him, be careful and be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two tail end stumps of firebrands at the burning of the anger of Rezin and Aram and of Remaliah's son because Aram along with Ephraim and Remaliah's son has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us split it up for ourselves and set up a king over them, the son of Tabael. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered so that it is not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask for yourself. This is singular here to Ahaz, personally. Ask for yourself a sign from the Lord your God. Ask it to the deep or the exalted height, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then he, that is Isaiah said, hear then, O house of David. He's speaking now to the entire house, the entire line. Is it too little for you all, plural, to weary men, that you all will also weary my God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you, will give y'all a sign. Behold, the virgin, pregnant, she will bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he will eat, 
that he may know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. The Lord will bring upon you, you, Ahaz, singular, and upon your people and upon your father's house, such days as have not come since the day, day that Ephraim departed from Judah, indeed, the king of Assyria. And it shall come to pass in that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with the razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria. In other words, the Lord will shave by means of the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and will sweep away also the beard. And it shall be in that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. And it shall come to pass in that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand of silver shekels will be briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be cultivated with a hoe, you will not go there for fear of briars and thorns, and they will become a place where cattle are let loose and a trampling place for sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Everything was at stake. Like we said last week, all of our hopes, the whole hopes of the history of the world revolve around, as we learn in the Bible, this house of David and a promised one in the line of King David who is going to be the Messiah. Ahaz is in that line. If Ahaz goes down, we're in big trouble historically. <laughs> God can do whatever he wants to, but biologically and historically, this is a crisis. And Ahaz is an unfaithful man in the line of King David. You would think that the descendants of David would be great and faithful, even better than David. No, this is far worse. This, this man is willing to chase after all kinds of other gods and do whatever it takes in foreign alliances to try to save his own skin. And his own closest enemies, his relatives, the northern kingdom of Israel and Damascus are threatening to take him out and put someone who is not from the line of King David, the son of Tabael, in his place on the throne in Jerusalem. 735, 734, it looks like we're all in trouble eight centuries before the coming of Jesus. This looks horrible. And it is bad. Bottom line question for Ahaz and for you and me is do I trust in God's promises no matter what? Or do I get desperate and make other deals? Do I trust in God's promises no matter what? Or do I get desperate and make other deals? God in his grace reaches out to Ahaz I've already given you basic 
summary of how bad Ahaz is. Amazingly enough, God reaches out to Ahaz through Isaiah and says, look, Ahaz is on his last leg. He's scared to death. He's going to be out checking his water supply before the siege comes. And he knows his water supply, which is above ground, is vulnerable. He's going out to the conduit, the aqueducts. You go out and meet him. But you take your son with you. You know the one I had you name? A remnant will return. A remnant will return. That sounds really bad. That sounds like we're going to be defeated and go into exile. Yes, exactly. You take Sha'er Yeshu. You take your little boy who has that name with you, and you put him right in front of Ahaz. And you tell him he has a choice right now. Bad, disastrous times are coming. But I'm giving him a chance to trust in me no matter what. You take him out there and you talk to him. So that's what happens. Isaiah goes and speaks to Ahaz. And he speaks a word that calls Ahaz to repentance. He speaks a word that speaks to us also today. He says, be careful and be quiet. What do we tend to do when things are bad? We talk a lot, right? What's social media like when things are disrupted? All quiet? No, no, everybody's got an opinion on everything, right? God says to you and God says to Ahaz in this situation, be careful and be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two tail end stumps of a firebrand. You know, in history, in history, we're dealing, we're dealing with the second to last king of the northern kingdom of Israel. After him comes Hosea, and then the kingdom is gone. God says, <laughs> they may be a threat to you right now, but they're, they're, they're toast in history. And also with Damascus. Trust in me, no matter what. So God calls you and me to the same kind of trust. So for our sermon today, how does God command us to respond to external, external threats and also internal threats? You gotta understand, spiritually, you're dealing with two different things. People coming at you and your own sin and fears within. How do I deal with both of those things? And God says, be careful and be quiet, be at peace. This is a command from God to Ahaz and to us through this scripture. Do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of, in this case, the attacks of these kings. You probably don't have Middle Eastern kings attacking you right now, but there's some other things that may be threatening you. What are they? God says, do not let your heart be faint because of all those things. And then God says in verse nine, it's highlighted for today, it's in your notes. And let me be clear on this, 
this is second person plural, since I'm going to talk with the prophecy about second person plural, let me say this also. This is second person plural all of a sudden. This isn't just for Ahaz. This is for the whole house of David and what's at stake. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Let me repeat that. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. If your faith in God is not sure, you're a whispering willow about to be blown away. You're a piece of grass that is about to shrivel in the heat. You're nothing if you're not firm in your faith in God. And God is now speaking. God keeps going back and forth on this second person singular and plural thing with Ahaz because God is speaking to the whole house of David. And what's happening is the house of David, the tree is about to be cut down to a stump. And that then becomes part of the story of the rest of Isaiah. The tree is about to be cut down because of Ahaz's unfaithfulness and the unfaithfulness of the house of David. What about your house? Where are you with trusting in God for real? You trust in stuff or God? God is inviting you. Silence the noise in your own mind and from the people out there and listen to me. If you are not firm in your faith, you're nothing. You will fall in the crisis. And so it's going to happen with the house of David. So does this mean... Jesus never came, and we're not saved, and we're all doomed to hell forever? No. Thank God that even when all God's people, or most of them, are unfaithful, God is faithful still, right? So, number two, believe, seek, and live in the sign, the Son, and the gospel. The sign... And the Son and the Gospel bring salvation through judgment. This is the ongoing message we're seeing in Isaiah, and in fact, it opens up the whole Bible to us. God, in the face of our sin, doesn't save us with holy water on a rose petal. God brings fire, but he brings his people through the fire. The fire will not consume his people, but only refine his people those who believe in him. This is the story. So we are called to believe, seek, and live in the sign, the son, and the gospel that brings salvation through, not around, through the judgment that comes from God. God invites Ahaz to ask for anything he wants. I mean, does, does Christmas get any better than that when God says, ask me for a sign, you know, all the way down to hell or as high as heaven. The sky's the limit. Sky's not even the limit, Ahaz. Whatever you want. And Ahaz piously says, oh, I'm not going to put God to the test. Notice he doesn't say my God. He just says God because God is not his God, not his, not his personal God. He's chasing after. He's got affairs going on with every other God on the face of the earth, every false God, every false deity. And he's made his deal with Assyria. He's asked the king of Assyria to be his savior instead of God. So, 
what happens? One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Now we understand the context. In that context, God brings judgment on Ahaz and the house of David. This is a statement of judgment. It's set up like a statement of judgment. The therefore is there for a reason, and it is judgment on Ahaz and on the whole house of David. That's why it shifts into second person plural, which is I'm, I'm highlighting this for you. You have to really understand this. Everything is at stake. This is not just about Ahaz. Daddy, mommy, it's not just about you. We're talking about generations to come. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You could have asked. I invited you one last chance to believe in me, and you have not. Therefore, I'm going to give you a sign. And for Ahaz and the immediate house of David, this is judgment unto condemnation. But guess what? For us, what do we call it? Christmas. Isn't this amazing? It's Christmas. God brings salvation through judgment. Behold, the virgin, pregnant. It's a, um, the is is implied here, and it's a temporal present that extends beyond time. Okay? That's what's going on there. Behold, the virgin. Let me say a word about virgin. I'll do a study on this on Wednesday night, I promise it. We just do not have time for me to dig into this. But the Alma there is just as good as Betulah for virgin. Either one may mean virgin. In this case, we're clearly talking about a miraculous sign. And we're talking about a young maiden. Let me refer you to several studies, including um, Christophe Ricot, uh, Christophe Ricot's um, excellent study, La Mère de l'Enfant Roi, is a... Set uh, uh, it's really good on explaining um, the Greek and the Hebrew in the original languages and the fact that all these languages and related languages have three terms and the central term for a young maiden who would almost classically be a virgin. And here we're clearly talking about a sign that's a miracle. It's not an everyday occurrence. You're talking about a virgin. The Septuagint, 200 years before Jesus, gets it right. The Septuagint translators get it right by using the Greek Parthenos. We are talking about a young maiden who is clearly a virgin because we're talking about something that no man can give. The house of David cannot give it. The house of David has turned away from it. God's going to have to resurrect everything, including the future house of David, through Emmanuel, whom God is going to bring in a totally miraculous way that no human being has any part of other than this virgin, this young maiden who gives birth. That's what God is saying. You're out, the house of David, the trees being cut down. Nevertheless, my promises are sure and I will save my people. That's what God is saying in Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin pregnant, she will bear a son and shall call his name. God is with us. God with us. So God invites you to believe in him. The sign, the son, the center of all of human history and all of gospel history is right there. That's it. He came to us. We didn't do it at all. 
The house of David failed. We all failed. Judah failed. But God delivers us by his grace. So, number three, how can we be firm in faith? Trusting God and trusting his promises no matter what. Well, let me tell you about the house of David. Centuries later, there was somebody that nobody really had ever heard of from the house of David. A carpenter named Joseph. And the angel Gabriel, almost with his finger on Isaiah 714, comes to this almost long lost descendant of the house of David. I mean, the tree is cut down. There's been no king in the line of David for generations, for centuries. And the angel says to Joseph, Matthew 1, 20, Joseph, son of David. Did you catch that? Do you understand who Joseph is? Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Oh, that's exactly what God commanded Ahaz 700 years ago. Right. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, this young maiden to whom you are betrothed, this virgin, as your wife. Yes, she is pregnant, but for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's out of this world. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew has to tell us, right? God's word connects the dots. All this, all of this, what I just read, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, that is Isaiah. Behold, the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. There it is. You want a declaration of deliverance? <laughs> you want a declaration of real independence? That's it. That's God's invitation to us. And I invite you to believe him and to turn to him. Be firm in your faith. Hang with God, because without God, we will all hang separately. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you. We give thanks for not only our 